Welcome to Talking Kotlin. On this episode, we're speaking with Christina Lee, a software engineer at Pinterest doing Android and iOS development. Christina, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Absolutely. And I know that you and I have been trying to sync up to do this show for like two months now. Months. So yes. we finally made it. I am so glad to be here. Absolutely. I have to ask you one thing. Um, looking at your bio, looking at your Twitter handle, and I said, I, I got to ask you this. So I know that your Twitter handle is Ron Christina Ron. Yeah. And I know that you ran across the entire country. This is true. It took you like five months right, yes, to go did. from end to end, which is amazing. Like I was talking today about, you know, uh, my colleague, we're here at um, DevOx in the US and uh, Paul, my colleague, is like, oh, I'm going. I went jogging this morning. I'm like, oh, I conveniently left my jogging shoes at home, right? And <laughs> here's you running in, across the entire country, and I can't even do ten minutes a day. In all fairness, I will say that I don't run that long anymore. And so everybody is always, uh, they see me in the morning, they think, oh, did you go out for a twenty mile run? I'm like, are you kidding me? I don't run distance <laughs> anymore. I did it. I'm done. <laughs> so, the reason I bring it up is because I heard like a little bit the story, but I don't know why you did it. Yeah. So it was a fundraising event for a charity that I, I really believe in. And it, it was one of those things that happened in not a, a great way. I think everybody always thought that there was this magical moment of inspiration. But unfortunately, I am a, a millennial. And as part of that, I was writing my bucket list while I was on Facebook because multitasking, right? Of course. And, and while I was on Facebook, I got an ad from Facebook about someone else who was trying to do the thing that I ended up doing in the end. And I looked at my bucket list and I said, oh, you know, learning to play the guitar and learning Spanish, these are great, but they're kind of boring. They're kind of plebeian. And then compared that to the ad that I had just gotten served about this girl going out and trying to run across the country alone, and it was going to be the first time it had been done. And it just seemed so trivial, the list that I had made. So I put it on my bucket list. And then once it was on there, I felt like I had to do it. And so from from there, it just kind of the rest was history. I ended up doing it and I did it to raise money for, for a cause I believe in. But the, the way it got started was not quite as picturesque as everybody always seems. They're like, did you know you want to do it since you were a kid? And the answer is no. It was random because of Facebook advertisement. Yeah, but it's I, I think it's still very nice, you know, that you actually compare what you had on your bucket list with something more substantial, especially if it was for fundraising. So I think that that's very inspiring, even though it wasn't like, a, you know, something yeah. that you came up with from when you were little. Yeah, it was it was I don't regret it. It was the best decision I've made in a in a long time. It was life changing, to say the least. So I'm really glad I did it. But it was definitely uh, not nearly as grandiose as everybody likes to think it was. <laughs> Well, it was better than Forrest Gump's response, right? Yes, I because just felt like Because he just running. wanted to. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, congratulations. That, that, is, that is amazing. Well done. So you work right now at Pinterest, right? I do. And what is your day job there like? So I am currently on Android. I, I work on the core product team we have here. And so the core product team is akin to a platform team, but it focuses on product work. So we make 
the the layer of the Android app that is reused by everyone, not necessarily individual features, but the things that every individual feature needs to rely on. So right now I'm working on networking, rewriting the networking layer, for example. And then you've got a back-end team as well, I assume, yep. right? That's doing the server-side stuff. Exactly. We have a back-end team, and then we have teams for each of our clients. So we have Android, iOS, and web, and then we have our back-end. And, I mean, back-end is so much bigger than all of our front-end clients because, of course, there's all of the machine learning and the data science that has to go into the, the search engine that Pinterest is running. So there's a ton of back-end engineers, and then there's this small cohort of really, really passionate front-end people who are doing a lot with a little. So how many people on your team, on the Android team? On the Android team, my team right now is there's four Android engineers, and then we have five of those teams. So for product Eng, there's about 20, 20-ish people, I guess, on Android. And you have native development to Android and native for iOS as well, Exactly, right? yes. Cool. And, but you have different uh, platforms. So for iOS, you're using Swift and Objective-C? So we're using, yeah, we're using Swift not for the app itself, but for some of the libraries. And we're using Objective-C for the main app because we use ASDK, which is Async Display Kit. So our, our app is incredibly, incredibly performant. But one of the things that comes with that is that it's still wed pretty heavily to Objective-C. And, and they're looking at, at changing that going forward, but it's, it's a pretty big decision for them given how much we rely on Async Display Kit. But Android does not have that, that tie into a legacy code base. And so Android right now, we give all developers the option to use either Java or Kotlin, depending on which will make them more productive and feel more comfortable. And we have a lot of people who are choosing Colin, unsurprisingly. And the reason I was asking regarding the separate teams, because uh, I was also, when I was looking through some of the stuff that uh, you mentioned on your uh, LinkedIn profile, which by the way, there is one thing that I'm gonna ask you later about that LinkedIn profile. Okay. We'll bring bring that up later, but <laughs> there, you, uh -oh, there's a mention. Trouble? No, it's just a weird thing. I, I got to say, like, what is this? But one of the things that you mentioned is React Native. So I was wondering if, if you are actually using React Native at Pinterest or is this just kind of like a thing that you've looked into yourself? That's why I was asking if there's different teams for the different types of uh, mobile devices. Yeah, React Native is something that I had used. So I got Aqua hired into, into Pinterest and a big chunk of the team that I was with at the time came with us to Pinterest. And so there, there are about eight people from that team here. And we had used React Native really, really successfully. And so, of course, when we got to Pinterest, we thought, uh, can we use it at Pinterest again? Is, is this a tool that will also make sense here? And it turns out that our web team had done a huge React migration before we ever arrived. So our web app is seeing phenomenal, phenomenal gains in performance from going to React. And, and a lot of those web engineers have a ton of interest in bringing React to native by using React Native too. And so it's definitely something that we're we're experimenting with and, and researching, but unfortunately React Native does have some connotations around performance because of the threading model that it uses right now. And so there are people who are getting around that, but they're getting around that with pretty heavyweight solutions that are uh, kind of changing the rendering cycle and where things are rendered and who's rendering them. Uh, or, or not rendering them, laying them out. And, and so we could use that solution, but 
it's it's one of those trade-offs between where, will this tool help us move fast enough without adding too much complexity? And that's something that we're evaluating right now. And given these two platforms, I mean, realistically speaking, how much do you find that you share across the two between the teams? Yeah, I really not not as much as you would think. And, and I don't think that that's because we couldn't share a lot between the platforms. I think that there's a ton in common, but they were built at different times and they were built using different technologies and we're playing to the strengths of each platform. And so I had mentioned this earlier, but iOS use a, uses async display kit and that's a, a huge investment that totally changes how we're laying out views and and rendering them on iOS. And of course, Android doesn't have that equivalent. And Android, our Android app was introduced at a time when Google was recommending that fragments were the way to go and the thing that you should be using in your apps to encompass things that needed to be reused in multiple screens. And so the Android app is heavily based on fragments and the iOS app is heavily based on async display kit. And those two choices that were made when those apps were created as infants really have come and perme like permeated what they are today. And so we're doing some rewrites that I think are going to bring those platforms closer together in the end, in, in the coming year. But right now they're, they're quite separate because of the tools that they're leaning on. Yeah, because at the end of the day, also, you know, they are different platforms and people when they're, you know, users, when they're using it, they, they expect different kind of behavior and user experience, right? They, yeah. they would like the same features, but it's not like someone is daily switching from Android to iOS continuously going back and forth that they say, I want the exact same experience on both phones. You know what I'm saying? Yes. And this is a thing that we talk about quite a bit at Pinterest because I don't know if you've heard my, my coworkers, Torben and Lynn talk, but they gave a talk at DroidCon New York about Brio, which is our universal design standard. And Brio goes across web, iOS and Android. And it's it's based on columns. And so you, you always divide the device into columns and then your components will, will be maybe two columns wide or five columns wide. And, and what that means is that in essence, we, we have the same design patterns across platforms, give or take some buttons. For instance, a floating action button is not something you would ever see on iOS, but it is native to Android. And, and the menu icons are, are different for the two and the tap, uh, things that are tappable are indicated in different ways across the platforms. So we have small changes like that, but the bulk of the Pinterest design is uniform across the platform. And, and this was a really conscientious choice by the designers because they do recognize that the platforms are different, but at the end of the day, they want Pinterest to be recognizable no matter where you're seeing it. They want it to feel like you're at home, whether you're on iOS or on web or on Android. And so we, we continue to have a, a ton of conversations around this. And it's, it's really this push and pull between keeping the platforms separate enough to maintain their own personality and maintain the quirks that draw users to their Android device or draw users into buying an iPhone device, but also giving a unified experience so that people yeah. exactly recognize the brand no matter where they are and feel comfortable using it no matter what platform it's on. Yeah. And speaking about Android, obviously you guys are using Kotlin, which is great. Yes. What, who brought Kotlin to Pinterest? Was it you or someone else? <laughs> I'm, there's a great story, which is that we had this amazing 
wizard of an engineer named Carl. And if he listens to this, hi, Carl. Um, but he he wrote the, the first version of the Pinterest Android app, and he was really, really influential in it. But Carl is one of those more quiet geniuses. He always has really well-informed opinions, but he's not going to come and scream them in your face the way maybe I will, because I get excited and I get loud and I like to talk to people about things. And so I sat down with Carl my first week on the job, and I said, you know, there's this language, and I've been using it at my startup and it's amazing and it's making me a better developer. Do you think there's a chance that we could use it at Pinterest? And he just looked at me and said, I love Kotlin. I use it in my personal projects. I just need somebody to be the champion of Kotlin at Pinterest. You're more than welcome to use it. I just need someone to go out and, and kind of spread the gospel and and tell people about Kotlin and why they should get excited about it. And so I looked at him and I said, Oh, that's easy. I, I have this. That's my strength. No problem. And so I, I can't claim that I brought it to Pinterest because Carl was already using it in his projects and we already had some other engineers who were interested in it and using it in their side projects. But it needed a cheerleader and I was more than happy to to be that person. <laughs> Yeah, and sometimes that is the biggest challenge, right? Yes. It's it's to buy get buy-in from other people. And from a we'll get, we'll cover some technical things a little bit uh, later, but from an organizational perspective, when you went out championing this, mm -hmm. was there a lot of opposition? Did you face issues? There was it's hard to say opposition because people at Pinterest are, are probably the nicest people you'll ever meet in your life. And so they don't ever really oppose things. They just don't get excited about them. And I think that the, the pushback that I definitely faced was people, especially because we had so many senior developers, they had been using Java for years and they were really good at it and they were really fast at it. And what I was asking them to do was to give up some of that expertise. They, they knew all the ins and outs of Java and all of these weird cases that would do these things. And, and when you go to a new language, it's uncomfortable because you don't know all of those edge cases and you don't know all of the different tools at your disposal. And so I think people understood the benefit of having null safety in the types and things like that. But it was a really hard sell to ask them to walk away from something that they knew and that they were really good at doing and to go back to that place where they were fumbling around and they didn't know the difference between a val and a var. And, and not knowing is really uncomfortable for people who are really accustomed to knowing things. So I think the pushback was less, uh, oh, this language isn't good. And it was more well, do I really need to adopt it? What I'm doing right now seems to be working for me just fine. If you're using Kotlin or planning to, make sure you check out KotlinConf, a conference taking place in sunny San Francisco on the 2nd and 3rd of November 2017. It's a two-day event packed with Kotlin content by industry experts with keynotes from Andre Breslav and Eric Meyer. So whether it's back-end, front-end, mobile, or native, Kotlin Conf is the place to be this year. That's Kotlin Conf, C-O-N-F dot com. Hope to see you there. Yeah, and I think that when you look at a language, especially Kotlin, because, you know, Kotlin is very similar to Java, mm -hmm. right? Which, which got its plus. But also, I've seen a lot of times people kind of push back saying, well, okay, great, you've, you know, it, filtering is shorter, right? Yeah. Or... Um, you've got val or var and I can have a read only or whatever. Yep. But in my personal experience, because, you know, when I moved to Kotlin, I just moved directly to Kotlin. I skipped Java. Yep. Coming from C Sharp. 
But I kind of felt initially the same way. I'm like, okay, well, it's got this. Okay, this is cool. This is cool. Whatever. But mm -hmm. it, it wasn't like, oh, my God. But then what I feel with Kotlin, and I don't know if you kind of share this experience, is that when you put all of these little things together and when you start writing it, that's when you really start to enjoy it and see the value of it, as opposed to just looking at it in isolated list of features, if you know yes, what I mean. Yes, I totally 100% agree with you. And and you bring up a good point, which is that one of, one of the things that I had a lot of conversations with people about is I would say, wow, this feature is really great. And they would say, can't you do this in Java by doing X? And the answer was almost always, yes, you could do this in Java if you wanted to. There, there are a lot of things that you can do with Java to manipulate it to give you these nice features. But the, the whole of it is that you're not going to do those things in Java in most cases because they're heavyweight and it's it's kind of hard to always remember to do those things. And I think that you bring up that really great point about Kotlin, which is that when you start writing it in bulk and it just becomes really easy to manage the mutability of something or the nullability of it or to have lambdas expressed in a concise way, you, you start to have all of those things compound and that's when you get the full benefit of Kotlin and that's when you have that eye-opening moment where you're like, how did I ever do anything before this? I don't understand. And and that was that was something that I'm having a lot of fun watching actually because I've been asking people to give Kotlin a try and to just you know look around and poke around even if they're not writing code just go into a Kotlin file and I just have these moments where people are popping up on my Slack saying oh my God, this is so fantastic. Look at this thing that I just did. And I did it in a couple lines and it's readable and it's beautiful. And I love having that pop up in my inbox because I know that they've gotten to that point where they get it, where, where they've had that moment of, okay, sure, I could do this in Java if I wanted to, but it's so much more fun and easier to do in Kotlin. Yeah. And from a technical perspective, I saw an interview of yours regarding oh boy because you like, well it, it's funny because because you know i have a i have a talk that i've been giving uh for many years which is well for a few years now at least it's called kotlin ready for production mm -hmm. and you have a talk which is kotlin in production which is like awesome you know <laughs> <laughs> just yeah. works so well right and in in this talk or it was an interview that you were giving and you were talking how much you kind of you said well i eliminate null reference exceptions yeah. null pointer exceptions yeah so I have to ask you on this. Yes, if you're using Kotlin exclusively, mm -hmm. you can work with non-nullable types. Yes. But given that you're doing Android development, you are going to, at some point or other, interrupt with Java. Has that really given you the, you know, the, the selling point of null reference exceptions being eliminated? Or do you still have to take that care? Like, you know... Mm -hmm. It is it is true that the MPs can go away if I'm strictly with Kotlin. But what about yeah. when I'm doing Kotlin Java? Yeah, so I should give the context of the fact that we were using Kotlin before, long before it had reached 1.0. We were, I don't even know, like 0.12 RC when we used it in production at our startup. So I've I've been in in a company where the entire app was Kotlin. And a lot of times I'll talk to people at Pinterest about what it was like 
to to be in that world where you're writing exclusively Kotlin and and you don't have the interop. And obviously, it's easier to do that than it is to have it at Pinterest. But I think it's a good perspective to have. If if we decide that this is the tool for us and we go all in, here's here's what we can have. But you're right in that Pinterest doesn't have that right now, and it probably won't have it for a really long time. And we do get into a lot of trouble at the boundaries of Kotlin, at the point where Java and Kotlin intersect. But I've actually found... So, so yes, it's trouble, but I found that that boundary is my greatest selling point with coworkers because it shows the power of, of what can happen when you can control nulls in an easier manner. Because a lot of things that we've done in our app and a lot of the ways we've built things is it's not conducive to having more strongly typed uh, nullability and, and type safety in general about things that can and cannot be uh, mutable. So vowels and vars, like the way we have our Java thing set up, it really doesn't play well with Kotlin. And it's not because Kotlin is bad. It's because what we were doing in Java was not the optimal thing that we could have been doing. And, and so it's one of those things where every time we run into that on the boundary, it's almost always because the decision we were making in Java was, I don't want to use the word lazy because it wasn't lazy. It was the more convenient thing to do. And, yeah. and this goes back to that thing where people say, well, okay, here's a Kotlin feature. Can't I do that in Java? And the answer is usually, yes, you can do it in Java, but you probably won't. We have those cases everywhere. And it's been really illustrative because it's been something that has told us that there's code smell, that we should probably do something about that Java file because, for instance, we have something that should in essence never be null, but it's set outside of the init, so we have to mark it as nullable, and now we're getting trouble when we're navigating between the Java and, and the Kotlin. And and things like that are code smell. So I think it's it's been troublesome, but it's been troublesome in the same way that a teacher hands you back an essay and they have it marked in red. Yeah, it sucks to get a bad grade on it, but it's way better to know that you did something that wasn't ideal than it is to be ignorant of that fact. And do you take those opportunities to refactor your existing Java to Kotlin? Like when you find, when you encounter these situations? All the time, yeah. And and it's great because I used to be the person who would always do the refactoring. And I, I was just working with my tech lead, Shasha, who I absolutely adore. And and she was doing something and she messaged me and it, it literally made my heart sing. I was so happy because she said, oh, we have to mark this thing nullable, but in essence, it's never nullable. So it's killing me that the type has to be nullable because we're doing this weird thing here. And I said, oh, you know, Shasha, I, I agree with you, but I don't want you to have to go through all of these extra steps. And she's like, no, this thing should not be nullable. So the fact that we're setting it outside of in it is not okay. And she went in and refactored it. And the code is way better because she did it. And it was amazing to me because obviously it's something I care about. So I was always the one doing the refactoring. But to see that spread outside to other people in the org and to see them care in the same way that I care about it, it's, it's amazing. I think that it's been pushing all of us to up our game and to think more critically about the code that we're touching when we're modifying it. And, and that's been a huge win. Not like it's not in Kotlin, it's in the Java parts of our app, but it's been a huge win for us anyways. And it's because we're interacting with Kotlin. Yeah. And talking about maintenance and, you know, readability, one of mm -hmm. the things that we've always tried to add with Kotlin will gain with Kotlin is that readability while at the same time, you know, we, we talk a lot about how Kotlin cuts down your code base by 40%, more yeah. or less on, on stats that we run. 
But of course, you know, you can use a language that cuts it down 20, you know, leaves it at 20% or cuts it down 80%, but it's no longer readable. Have you yeah. found that to be an issue with Kotlin or is the fact the you know, the PR around it being readable working well for you? I I think that Kotlin is incredibly readable, but with the caveat that Kotlin gives you ways to to take shortcuts. And there's a little part of me as an engineer, which I'm sure a lot of people relate to that loves doing clever stuff in the code. Like, I love it. You, you look at something and you think, oh, I can do it this way and I can use the Elvis operator and then do this early return. And it's going to be so fantastic. And it, it, it's fun to think of ways that you can do that stuff because it's a brain teaser. And I found that there, there's so much power in Kotlin that sometimes I could subvert the readability that is there naturally. So if I'm writing Kotlin in a way that I would write Java, where I, I, you know, am not taking any of those shortcuts, I think without a doubt the Kotlin is much more readable. And and one of the places that I would point to this is with RX. I find it very, very hard to understand Rx streams when they're created in Java because they're very verbose and you have the anonymous inner classes and objects being passed around and stuff. And and that's hard for me to read. And then I look at Kotlin and I think, okay, well, here's a, a do on next. And then the Lambda says, you know, print item or something. That's so much easier for me to comprehend. But it, it, it has its limits in that with great power comes great responsibility. And sometimes I found that I've been tempted to abuse that because Kotlin is so powerful. And so as long as, as long as I have my code reviewers pulling me back and telling me to, you know, write, write the sensible code, don't write the clever code, then I think Kotlin hands down is, is more readable and that it, it allows us to spend more time in our code review looking at things that matter instead of looking at boilerplate. Yeah, but I mean, there is a balance there, right? I mean, there are yes. many ways to write the same thing. But one of the things that I was going to ask you in regard to this is, do you feel or do you have actually a style guide at, at Pinterest in terms of how you should write things with Kotlin or what you should try and avoid? Or do you feel the need to have a style guide? Yeah, we absolutely feel the need. And again, I think that comes back to the fact that Kotlin is small but mighty. It, it's not, the standard library is not huge, but there's so many ways to do nearly identical things in the code that it is really important to, to have that conversation. And we have a living doc at Pinterest that we're amending constantly about, okay, well, here's a common case that you hit and you can do it in this way or you could do it in that way. For instance, the one that comes to mind is you can do a null check on something and have it be smart cast to non-nullable or you can do a, a let question mark on it and, and use it in a scoped variable. And and which one do we want to lean towards and, and why? And, and this is something that we're talking about all the time and I don't think that there's a right answer that's universal to every company, but for Pinterest, we're figuring out what that is for our app and for our use case and what the balance is between being short and concise and brief and being readable. Because sometimes being more verbose can serve a purpose in terms of code maintenance when someone returns to that file five years later and they haven't seen it. Having a longer variable name may make more sense than using it. In, in a lambda. And, and so things like that, we're, we're constantly making decisions about, but we're not, we're not locked into it. And I think one of the things that's fun about working on Kotlin is that 
it is new and there's not, you know, years and years and years of, of history to it that tells you you should do it this way or you should do it this way. So we're getting to make those choices for ourselves, and, and that's a fun place to be because the engineers I work with are really, really smart and I value their opinion. Are you planning on sharing this externally or is it for now just internal to Pinterest? For now, it's hosted on our internal wiki, so I wouldn't be able to share out the link, but there's no reason. Uh, it's not proprietary at all, and people have asked me for it, and I've sent it to them on an ad hoc basis, so I could definitely share out some of our style guides if, if it would be helpful to other people. There's no reason for it to be private. It just happens to be hosted on our internal company wiki. I think it would be really valuable because it also gives insight into how others write code. And, and as you say, Kotlin hasn't been around that long well, I mean, it's, yeah. it's been around seven years, but released, it's only been, you know, one year. So, yep. you know, it would be good. It would be great uh, resource for, for the community. So cool. yeah, I mean, yeah, if, if it's something possible, that would be fantastic. Yeah, I'll definitely uh, put that out into the community with the caveat that everybody has opinions. So this is one thing that I'm always afraid of is that when there are five ways to do it, it's it's inevitable that we'll pick one and someone will say, well, you really should have picked this other one. So just with the caveat that this is this is what works best for us at Pinterest, it may not work best for everybody, but we'd be more than happy to share what we're finding works well for us. So you also are a big fan of Rx, right? Oh, I am, yes. <laughs> I'm not going to ask you too much about Rx. I was just more interested in if you've looked at the co-routine stuff in Kotlin. Yeah, so I haven't yet, which is on me. I, I feel like I'm negligent because that, that blog post came out quite a while ago. I just haven't quite gotten around to it. Okay, that's, um, that's I think, it's, it's, it's really interesting. It, it's one of those areas of Kotlin where it does start to challenge your brain a little bit more. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. Kotlin, by and far, is an easy language to learn. And then mm -hmm. you've got that step of, you know, writing idiomatic Kotlin. Uh, yes. But the coroutines take it that one step up. I am really excited to get to play with them. And now I'm, I'm even, I, I just got to get it off the back burner and go in and write some code. I, I'm one of those people who reads the blog post, but it doesn't really hit home until after I get to play around with it a bit. So I'm going to have to fire up a, a sample project and, and get working on coroutines. So you've been a big champion of Kotlin which yes. is fantastic. Right now it's on Android. Has there been any interest whatsoever in looking at Kotlin for some of the backend stuff at Pinterest? I think it, it all depends on who you ask. So for me, I, I'm always pushing stronger typed languages for the backend. We use Python right now for the majority of our work. And for my brain, it's, it's hard to to write good Python because I can't keep track of all the different things. I've gotten too used to having types that'll save me for myself, I guess I can I can say. And so I'm always having that conversation with our backend engineers, but I, I think that from the backend, there's, there's so much that they do, there's so much surface area that in reality, it would be really, really hard to, to switch languages. And so I'm not sure that there's more than casual lunchtime conversation. Like, it would be so cool if we could use Kotlin on the back end. It, I don't think that that's at a level where people are actually considering doing it just because the scope of the, the code base. It's and much bigger. Yeah, it, it would be a, a tremendous project. I, I think that 
there, that's not ruling it out in, in the long term, but our short term initiatives right now on, on the back end take precedence over, over changing out the language. I personally am always excited about it, but I, I don't want to put words into the back end team's mouth because they're really good at their jobs. And I think that they've correctly prioritized some other infrastructure issues above reevaluating the language that they're using. Yeah, and it's very important, right? Because at the end yeah. of the day, it is about what value you bring to the business, right? We got to, we, exactly. we should ever, ever lose sight of that. Cool. So it's been great chatting with you. I do have one question, though, um, that I said <laughs> oh, I'm going to ask you later. Uh, I'm ready. I mean, we, we've chatted all about Kotlin and Pinterest, yeah. and that's all great. But please tell me, what does UI is the peanut butter to my unidirectional data flow jelly mean? <laughs> yeah, so I, I used to give a lot, of, uh, a lot of talks about unidirectional data flow, and everybody says peanut butter and jelly go together. And, and you know, that's the match made in heaven. Or I guess I shouldn't say everybody. Americans will say peanut butter and jelly are the match made in heaven. And I, I feel the same way about unidirectional data flow and UIs. I think that having unidirectional data flows is, is the perfect match for complicated UIs because it, in the same way that Kotlin helps make me a better developer, having explicit data flow, one, makes apps easier to debug, but two, makes it easier for me to write the app correctly because it breaks down complicated UI interactions into smaller logical units that I can reason about much more easily. And I think that, I, I don't know if you've talked or, or if you've seen my talk on unidirectional data flow, but one of my favorite quotes of all times was about asynchronicity and mutability. And, and the gist of it was that people are good at reasoning about asynchronous behavior on its own and mutability on its own. But when you add those two together, it's really, really hard for humans to keep track of both asynchronous things and mutable things. It's, it's just a lot to keep track of and, and it's hard for us to do it correctly. And so with unidirectional data flow, you, you can get rid of the need to think about those things at both times. And that's why I think that it's, it's such a good match made in heaven for, for UIs. I had really good yeah. experiences with it. So, and also, as you can tell, I'm, I'm a little bit of a goofball. So could I have just said, you know, directional data flow is great? Of course I could have. But see, then you wouldn't ask me about it in an interview. So this is all my, my long con. And for the record, I'm not American, but I love peanut butter and jelly. Although we don't call it jelly, we call it jam because jelly is jello, right? <laughs> There's something so pleasing about the word jam. It feels very sophisticated to me. So maybe I'll just adopt that too. Peanut butter. Oh, no, if you want, if you want sophistication, you have to say marmalade. That oh. is like, you know, that, that's, the, that's the Queen's British, as they that say, or the Queen's level. English. I'm, I'm not yeah. sure that I'm ready for that level of classy. <laughs> So once again, thank you so much for being on the show, Christina. It was great talking to you. And I think that at some point you should come back and talk about your uh, love for peanut butter jelly and <laughs> unidirectional UIs. <laughs> you know, I am always willing to talk about that. I'm, I'm, you know, more than happy to do it. But thank you so much for having me today to talk about Kotlin and, and what Pinterest is, is using it for. It was, it was a lot of fun. And I mean, I don't think that people have this backstory, but but JetBrains has been incredibly supportive and, and such a great resource for us. So it's it's always fun to get to sit down and have talks like this and give back a little bit. Mm -hmm.